worship. Kids, Miss Perry's not feeling well. Obey her. The first time she says something, don't give her any grief, okay? I'm not kidding. I'm going to talk to your parents about that too. So, <laughs> We uh, have been looking this fall at the book of Numbers. We're going to continue that today by looking at Numbers uh, chapter 9. Uh, verses 1 through 14. In a few weeks, uh, when we get to the first Sunday in Advent, which I think is the first Sunday in December this year, we're going to take a break from numbers for the four weeks of Advent. And, and the reason for that is not, uh, well, the reason is, we're, as I map out where we'll be, we'll be to the section of numbers about complaints, the people of God complaining. And that seems like a better New Year theme than, uh, than an Advent <laughs> Our Christmas theme. So uh, we're actually going to look at four uh, uh, pictures of Jesus Christ uh, each Sunday during Advent. So, um, but today we're looking at Numbers chapter 9, verses 1 through 14. That text is printed in the bulletin uh, and also up on the screens behind me. This is the Word of God, and we should hear it and respond to it as such this morning. And the Lord spoke to Moses in the wilderness of Sinai in the first month of the second year after they had come out of the land of Egypt, saying, Let the people of Israel keep the Passover at its appointed time. On the fourteenth day of this month, at twilight, you shall keep it at its appointed time. According to all its statutes and all its rules, you shall keep it. So Moses told the people of Israel that they should keep the Passover. And they kept the Passover in the first month, on the fourteenth day of the month, at twilight, in the wilderness of Sinai, according to all that the Lord commanded Moses, so the people of Israel did. And there were certain men who were unclean through touching a dead body so that they could not keep the Passover on that day. And they came before Moses and Aaron on that day. And those men said to him, we are unclean through touching a dead body. Why are we kept from bringing the Lord's offering at its appointed time among the people of Israel. And Moses said to them, wait. Now, let me stop right there and just say, there's a great lesson in that right there for all of us, whether we get, read anything else or hear anything else today. When someone asks you a question about something like this, it's never wrong to say, wait, let me pray and seek the Lord about this before I answer you. Um, I think that's one of the best things you could say. Very often, you know, we're quick to speak, aren't we? Moses is the boss. I mean, he wrote most of the first five books of the Old Testament. And this is a pretty straightforward question. But he says, you know, wait, let me talk to God about this first. So saying wait is a good thing, all right? Not, uh, uh, not a bad thing. And Moses said to them, wait, that I may hear what the Lord will command concerning you. And the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, speak to the people of Israel, saying, if any one of you or your descendants is unclean through touching a dead body or is on a long journey, he shall still keep the Passover to the Lord. And the second month, on the 14th day at twilight, they shall keep it. They shall eat it with unleavened bread and bitter herbs. They shall leave none of it until the morning, nor break any of its bones. According to all the statute for the Passover, they shall keep it. But if anyone who is clean and is not on a journey fails to keep the Passover, 
That person shall be cut off from his people because he did not bring the Lord's offering at its appointed time. That man shall bear his sin. And if a stranger sojourns among you and would keep the Passover to the Lord according to the statute of the Passover and according to its rule, so shall he do. You shall have one statute, both for the sojourner and for the native. So this is, this is a great passage and, and, and uh, uh, a historic passage because it records for us the fact that God said to the people, hey, you know, you've been away from uh, uh, Egypt now for a little bit more than a year. It's time to celebrate the Passover, just like I told you to do. And so uh, that's actually what they're going to do. Now, you, as you read this text, it's interesting, right? Because there, there seems like there are all these things where what happens is uh, God either is very clear and direct and uncompromising. Like if you don't keep the Passover, you're cut off. Keep the Passover the way I told you to, <laughs> very specifically. Or if you're unable to keep the Passover because of you've, you've touched the dead body, someone died in your family, or even if you're on a journey and you can't do it, I'll make provision for you to do it. seems like it's funny, right? On the one hand, God's like, here's the rules, follow them. On the other hand, God's saying, well, you know, sometimes you have to do things a little differently with the rules. Now, most of us, Worship a God who doesn't care one bit about rules. He's the popular God, right? <laughs> He's the one that we all like, right? Let me, let, me, let me be clear about something here uh, today. Let me do this by illustrating it this way. You know, um, I, I, my children uh, are now all adults. Well, they're in their 20s, okay, like many of you. Um, and uh, one of the things that we, we, we made uh, uh, about a million mistakes every day in parenting. But there was one thing that Marty and I committed ourselves to, and as best we could, we kept this. And it was this, that when we told our kids to do something or not to do something, we expected unquestioning, unhesitating obedience. Now that sounds harsh. And it also sounds hard because, you know, that sounds good standing up here, but when you told your kids something for the 634th time to make sure that they follow through seems really difficult because fatigue, as the great St. Vince Lombardi said, makes cowards of us all, right? So you're tired and it's hard. And so children are no dummies. And so what do they do? They think they told me to do this, but you know what? I can negotiate. I can reason them out of this. I can say no. I can say whatever to delay obedience or maybe to distract mom and dad so that obedience doesn't happen. You're all very serious about this. I don't, I don't understand why this is so intense. 
So, so when, we, when we would say that we want to do this and that we want to hold our kids to this, it sounds really hard and really harsh because it sounds like you're uncompromising, mean, and an ogre. But in fact, there's something important at stake when you do this, and it's not your authority. And it's not who's in charge. And it's not even whether your kids will reflect well on you in public which we all know is the most important aspect of parenting, (laughs) right? It's, are you trustworthy? Because if I tell you to do something, and if I tell you to do something and I tell you there's a consequence for you not doing it, or it's clear there's a consequence for you not doing it, and then I don't follow through on that, There's an inconsistency there. And I know this is going to sound crazy to you, but it makes sense to me. How will that child know you mean it when you tell them that you love them? If you have not meant what you said previously. Man, this is is too hard, isn't it? Well, um... The the fact of the matter is, uh, as we think about that, I wonder if we don't think of God in this way. That God speaks to us and we don't have to take it seriously because, you know, he's very tolerant and he just lets things slide. And he just said that just because he likes to say that. Now, I like to hear it when he says to me, I love you. But when he says, listen, I want you to keep the Passover, but I want you to keep it in a specific way, and it is for a specific set of people, we hear that, and that sounds exclusive and difficult. And, you know, that's one of the troubling things about the truth. The truth is the truth, and it doesn't care what we think. Now, I know that sounds like a curmudgeonly middle-aged man speaking. I, I actually got that quote from... Flannery O'Connor, who sounds an awful lot like a curmudgeonly middle-aged man in her writings. Uh, But the fact is, that's the truth. So when we come to this text today, there are things that we have to see that are monumentally true and direct about the grace of God, but also about the seriousness with which God takes his redemption of his people and the seriousness with which God takes his people. So so we're going to look at that today and we're going to see this as not just that God is the God of second chances, but that God is the God of grace and mercy. And that does not preclude him from being the God who's very serious about what he tells his people to do and to be. So let's let's dive into the through the text. But the first thing you have to see, you know, since as I said, this is the the God coming to the people, and it's interesting, isn't it? The people don't go to God and say, "Hey, it's been a year since we did the Passover. Do you want us to do the Passover?" <laughs> right? It's not like it's not like they're thinking, "Hey, it's it's Christmas time. Let's decorate the church." No. Why is it that God must come to them first and say, Let the people of Israel celebrate the Passover. That's a fair question. Because these people, not too long before this, 
grew tired of Moses on the uh, Mount of uh, Sinai. And what did they decide to do? Let's build a golden calf and let's call that calf, that golden calf, the God who delivered us from Israel, and let's worship that. And remember, as we hear this, as we, as we see this, you know, there's that great encounter in Exodus chapter 32 while all this is going on where God says to Moses, you know what, I'm done with these people. I'm going to make you a great nation. I'm going to do away with them. And Moses stands in the gap and says, God, your name is too great to do that. Don't do that. Be merciful to your people. And so this is, these are those people. And so what God is saying to his people is, listen, hey, you know, you're still my people. I'm still your God, even though you are prone to worship idols, you are prone to all of those things. And so uh, to, uh, because we, uh, you are my people and because I love you and because I have delivered you and because the glory of my name is at stake and, and the, the, the understanding of my grace and my mercy and my strength of salvation to you is at stake, it's time to do the Passover, right? So the first Passover was actually the Passover. Now, a year later, they actually come together and they're going to eat the lamb. They're going to eat the bitter herbs and they're going to eat the unleavened bread as a remembrance to remember what God had done with them a year earlier, right? So they actually have the event now that actually happened in time and in space that most of these people could remember. Oh, yeah, I remember that. I remember seeing the Red Sea open up. I remember seeing the dead bodies of our enemies washing up on the shore so that they were not able to destroy us. Oh, yeah, I, I remember that now. So God is saying to them, okay, we're in, we're in the wilderness. It's been a year. It's time to do that. So let the people do this, right? God's extending an invitation to his people, to that people, those people that are his people, the murmuring, complaining, angry, bitter, impatient, bored, cold, hard-hearted people. He's saying, hey, it's time to keep the Passover. I told you how to do it. And we're going to do it again. And you're going to do it in the way in which I told you for my glory and for your good. And so, so this, is a, this is a pretty profound picture here. So, so we have to see, you know, one of the things that, that you probably I, I don't think much about is, does it ever occur to you that it is bizarre that you're here? Does it ever occur to you that you have a share in the inheritance with the saints? Does it ever occur to you that you have this wonderful privilege of knowing God, of being known by him, that, that here you are today sitting among God's people, numbered, marked out, belonging to him, loved, cared for, provided for? And, 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 and the, the thing about it is we, we tend to, to, to forget that, don't we? Because uh, that's the big thing that's true of us. But what seems to be most pressing is the immediate concerns of our lives, the immediate things that put pressure on our lives, those, those things that distract us and overwhelm us and all of those sorts of things. And so it is even more important for people like us to have an opportunity for God to come to us and say, hey, in time and in space, 
I interacted. I came into your world and I did this. I redeemed you. I saved you. You must have this sacrament, really, this opportunity to eat something and to set aside a special time where you remember that because you will forget. And and here's the thing about forgetting. It's not like we forget, like uh, we go to the grocery store and we're supposed to pick up some orange juice and we forget to get it. That's not it. What you forget is what you already know. Listen, everybody wants to learn something new. Stop it! <laughs> all of us, all virtually all of us, know enough. You know enough. You know enough. I know enough. Would that we would live with any sense of, of, of remembering and applying and acting like what we know is true. Right? And so, so the fact is, and, and there's nothing wrong with knowledge and there's nothing wrong with books. I mean, you know, God forbid we are the most educated church probably anywhere around. But the fact is, the, the bottom line for us is that, that the issue for us is, there's, there's an issue in my life and somehow or other I need to come up with a new solution for that. For most of us and most of the situations we find, it's simply a matter of bringing to bear, remembering what we already knew to be true, right? And so God is providing the people with this opportunity for them to say, hey, you know what? You are a rebellious, hard-hearted, murmuring, bitter people, but you're my people, and, and to help you and to grow you and to move you and to challenge you, I want you to keep the Passover. I'm inviting you. Remember, this is how you do it. And remember, this is what I did. So God is doing this uh, for his people. He's extending them this invitation once again to do that. Next slide, please, Scott. So um, now what he says here is that we see that a proper Passover must adhere to the clear laws that God had set down in Exodus on how to do the Passover, right? There's, there's all these instructions about how to prepare the lamb and, and, and how to prepare the bitter herbs and, and what you do when you do it and, and, and you, to answer the question of why are we doing this? You know, what, what is it about this? The, the opportunities to be reminded again and to instruct those who have never heard before what it is that they're doing, right? So God doesn't just come and say to them, look, I know you're in the wilderness and I know times are hard, you know, uh, as you are able, uh, just do this, right? No, he's like, no, you need to do it the way I told you to do it because the way I told you to do it is not just I want you to do it this way because it's easier for me or it makes more sense. It is for our benefit to do it because each part of the Passover and each part of the preparation of that points to us and reminds us of the goodness and the grace of God and the power of God in redeeming his people. That's why he tells them to do it this way. So what that, one of the things that you have to see about this is, is that the Lord gives very clear instructions about that. When, you know, when you're in seminary, you, um, you, you talk about really dumb things. Like, like any grad student, you know, people in graduate school specialize in things that nobody else in the world cares about. You read journals that have 
400 subscribers. That I, you know, is that even a legitimate thing? But it must be because there are 400 people that are reading about this. So I remember having a conversation once with a guy, and he's like, if you're stranded on a desert island, so if, you know, if the question begins like that, you know this is a dumb conversation. But <laughs> if, you're, if you're stranded on a desert island and you've got to, uh, and, and, and you're going to have communion, but you don't have any wine or grape juice, but you have Coke, can you have communion with Coke? That's the stupid things. You know, it's a wonder the church makes it at all, isn't it? You know, if, that, if it's pastors are sitting around spending time thinking about that, praise God that, you know, he grows us out of stupid things like that. So, so we have a debate. Well, God doesn't care. You just want to have communion? You're on a desert island? That's pretty cool. I'm sure he'll be cool with that. And then there are the other guys. It's like, mm-mm, can't do it. Fruit of the vine. Got to be, got to be. Something from the great, mm-mm, that's, that's a violation. He might, he might do, do away with you if you did that, right? What a dumb thing. What a dumb thing. I'm inclined to think you shouldn't do it. Because insofar as we have some instruction about this, I think we should take that instruction seriously, right? Um, and so, so what, we, what we see about this is, is that God is saying to them, listen, you know, I've sat down, don't break the bones, prepare the bitter herbs, make the bread uh, without leaven, and don't leave any of this left over until the next day. Burn it all up. So, and you do it at this time, this particular week, beginning at twilight on this day, extending for seven days. So he's very clear about this, and this, this is what he wants them to do for their benefit, right? Not just because he wants to test them or anything like that. It's it's for their it's for their benefit. So they do they they prepare to do this. A group of men come to Moses and say, "Hey, we've had deaths in our family, and we have inadvertently become unclean. Unclean, ritually unclean people can't participate in the Passover. We feel like we are being restricted because of what has happened to us, and we can't eat the Passover." Now notice this. You know, Moses doesn't say, oh, God doesn't care about that. He's on, he doesn't care about that. Just, just go ahead. He's like, you know, let me, let me inquire of God. And so God says, you know what? Uh, they uh, should keep the Passover, and they should keep it exactly a month later, giving them the time to become clean on this specific day with this specific set of rules and regulations, just like everybody else. And in addition to that, the Lord looks and sees that there could be another problem where someone might be traveling and as a result of that be unable to take the pa- to do the Passover so that person can do it a month later exactly as God requires as well, right? So, so God's making sure that this is extended to all these people and that he is including all of these folks into the community of the people who are going to take the Passover. He's being very clear and very careful about that. Now, uh, that's, that's, a, that's a pretty profound thing for us to see and to think about, right? So the Lord's even taking into consideration that these things happen, that we live in a world where it would be nice if everything would fall into place and everything would be regular. But the fact is we're irregular, our world is irregular, and so we get caught up in these things. And God decides, you know what, I want everybody to do this. Even if you have to do it a month later, I want you to do it. Now, this is one of the reasons why we made the decision, not lightly, to move to weekly communion. 
Because the truth is, the truth is, many of you are not here on the first Sunday of the month. Not, and, and not because there's anything particular about that, but because uh, you work hard during the week and you get away on the weekend or you just don't come or you got sick kids or uh, you feel like you've, come, you know, you've gone the last two weeks, so let's take a week off. You know, whatever, whatever your particular thing is, right? And so if you miss a few first Sundays of the month when we only do communion once a month, you could be four, five, six months without taking the Lord's Supper. And that's not a, that's not a tenable thing that your elders want to see happen. Right? We don't think that's good. We think because God gives us this and he wants us to do it and he wants us to, he's, he wants us to see this as a means of grace and, and, and as a marker to us of us belonging to him and him belonging to us, that we need to participate in that as often as we can. So even in this situation, the Lord is, make, is seeing to it because if, if you have uh, someone die in your family, you miss the Passover. It's a year before you could take it again. If you're on a journey during the Passover, it's a year. What if you're on... what? what so there, you could be in a situation where you might be four, five, six years without being able to participate in this thing that God has given to his people. And so God sees this as a means of grace and he wants to accommodate his people as much as possible to see to it. So he's extending and including people in the, uh, 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 the community. But also, see the Lord does not permit people to eat the Passover in an unclean state, nor does he let them participate or not as they wish. He doesn't come to them and say, oh, it doesn't matter, get around to it when you get around to it. Or, you know, just do, just, just, you know, you can't get to the lamb, that's okay, eat some unleavened bread, right? He's very specific in, in the way in which he does this, right? He doesn't pretend that there's no problem and that all that matters is that your heart's in the right place. That's the God that we worship. Oh, it doesn't matter. Just do it. Now, God's certainly merciful and he's gracious, he's kind and he's patient. But he's very clear about what his expectation is about this. And there's something that we must ask, why is he so clear and so direct about this? Well, I think the reason why he does this is because uh, it's important for us to see our identity. Not just to hear it, not just to read about it, but for us as a community to do something together that sets us apart. Now, one of the things that you have to see about what communion and what eating the Passover does is not everybody does it. Not everybody does it. And, 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 and the fact is not everybody should do it. Now, again, that sounds, ooh, that sounds harsh. That sounds uninclusive. That sounds exclusive. But the fact of the matter is when we participate as the God's people in an ordinance that he has given uh, to us, that encourages us, that builds us up, but it also draws a boundary line. And it says everybody on this side of the boundary line who's participating in this belongs to the Lord, and everybody who's on the other side of that who's not participating in it and, maybe sh- and, and therefore should not participate in it because they're not the Lord's is outside. Now, now, you hear that and you think, oh, that's terrible. We should just throw it open to everybody. But the problem is, if we just throw it open to everybody and we never say there's a boundary, 
then, then the people that are on the other side of the boundary see no value in what it is the people on this side of the boundary are doing. In other words, the way you have to think about this is what we want to do is we want to celebrate the goodness and the grace of our God. We want to eat together, to drink together, and to remember the salvation of our God so that those who are outside of that see that and it bears witness to them of the nature of, 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 of our God and his grace and his mercy to us. You see, every time we take the Lord's Supper and I say that um, if you've come to the faith in Christ and you profess that to a body of believers somewhere, come and eat because this is for God's people. It sets them apart from the rest of the world. And if we don't create some sort of distance where we say, you're not, you don't belong to him, then how will they ever make the transition to understanding what it means to belong to him? So it's good to have that kind of boundary. It serves the purpose. It's a merciful purpose to, to arouse within the person looking from the outside in to say, you know what, I want that. I want to belong to those people. I want to belong to that God. I want to experience the grace. I want my sins forgiven. I want, I want to celebrate the sacrifice, the atoning work that Jesus has done for me. So God addresses those problems, but he still doesn't just say, you can do it any way you want to. So God wants his people to eat with him and to celebrate his deliverance of them. And the reason why he wants to do that is because it, 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 it will encourage and build us up. But not only that, it will define who his people are. Now, what about this stranger who sojourns? Because that seems like, well, wait a minute. Who is this person? And if a stranger sojourns among you and would keep the Passover to the Lord according to the statute of the Passover and according to its rule, so shall he do. You shall have one statute both for the sojourner and for the native. So we read this and we think, well, that seems to be very inclusive. Um, And it is. But it's not inclusive in the way in which we tend to think about it. God had given very clear instructions in Exodus 12 about how to do the Passover. The Lord said to Moses and Aaron, this is the statute of the Passover. No foreigner shall eat of it, but every slave that is bought for money may eat of it after you have circumcised them. No foreigner or hired worker may eat of it. These words, these categories of people are very, are very important. What he's, what, what, what they're saying here by saying the stranger here, the word that's, that's, that's translated stranger, we, we tend to think that, well, that means somebody, that means anybody who's not like us. But the word for, and wow, this gets, this is nerve wracking, right? This sounds like politics. Sounds like an immigration policy statement or something like that. It's not. What is this talking about? The sojourner that's talked about here who will participate in, uh, uh, in God's people in the Passover is a person who is not native-born Israel. He's not an Israelite. His parents were not Israelite. But through whatever reason, he has come to hear and to know and to see the work of God, and he believes, and he entrusts himself to this God, and he, de- and, and he demonstrates his submission to that and his desire to be a part of the community by becoming circumcised. And so he's someone who's not native born, 
but who identifies with the people of God and God identifies with him. And he says, you know what? That person gets to participate in the, in the um, Passover just like uh, the native-born person does, and he's, he's included. What, what, what excludes people is not race. What excludes people is not um, uh, uh, financial situation or any of those things. What excludes people is whether or not they have identified themselves, they are entrusting themselves, they take God at his word, and they want to be a part of his people. Now, this is always hard for us because people like us always are walking around with this, with this kind of thing in our mind about are we in or are we out? Are there people who are in or are there people who are out? C.S. Lewis wrote a great essay one time about the inner circle, that all of us believe somewhere there's an inner circle. They're the cool kids. I don't know if modern high school trains us to think that, that there's the cool kids, the socially upward and, and smart kids, and then there's the rest of us who are outside of that. And somehow or other, we're trying to get in. Um, yesterday, my daughter came into town with one of her roommates to run one of the races. And uh, they ran the race, they came back. And uh, one, the, her roommate's parents came to watch her run. And uh, they came to the house and they're like, we want to go to brunch. Where's a good place to go to brunch? So I'm like, well, you know, Panera's right around the corner. Dad, Panera, that's a chain restaurant. In other words, the cool kids like us, we don't eat there. And I'm like, well, sweetie, I was just, you know, trying to come up with something. She's like, the daily in short pump. And I'm like, and I, this is not a criticism of the daily, all right? I love the daily. But I'm like, sweetie, that's kind of expensive, you know? It's not just what everybody goes to. And, and you know, it is. every time I'm in there, I'm like, wear my skinny jeans. <laughs> I, don't, I don't really feel like I belong in here. I'm not, I don't know if I'm cool enough to eat in here or not. Will you take my money for this omelet? You know, so, so of course, that's where they went. And uh, uh, Mr. McNamara, the, uh, Helen, uh, the roommate's dad, you know, I'm like, you don't want to see him in skinny jeans. So this is not, this is, it's a good thing that he does. He's not one of the cool kids. The problem with this is the way we kind of divide this up is all wrong. There are divide, there are divisions, no doubt. God ordained divisions. But, but the, the fact is, as I look across this room today, I see one or two native born Israelites. The rest of you are sojourners. You didn't get here by blood. You got here by grace. You're all sojourners in that, in that respect. And so God in his grace and mercy has, has included those of us who are outsiders. And we were outside, not just because we weren't native-born Israelites, but because we're sinners. But God has included us in his people by providing for us the ultimate Passover lamb in Jesus Christ who has died for us, who's broken down the barrier, who's made a way for us. 
So all of those things that we tend to think about are race or class or education or coolness or non-coolness or or whatever those politics, whatever those things are that we tend to think that divide us, the Lord says, no, there is a division. And you need to take that division seriously. But the division is centered around who I am and my work for you. Who belongs to me and who does not belong to me. And the thing that's crazy about that is that that the Lord is scrapping and working even through that by making that division to say, his heart and his desire is for those who don't belong to him to come to faith to him to belong to him, right? So there's a barrier, there's a line there, but it's a semi-permeable barrier. It's a barrier that, that you can pass through to come into to be included in the people of God because Jesus has done that, right? So, so, the, so the fact is, let's let what, what divides be the gospel. Let's let what divides be the work of Christ, the person of Christ, the work that he has done for us, and let all these other things go. Because the Lord sees to it that that is what shapes, that is what determines whether you're in or you're out, is Jesus' work on our behalf. Listen, the Lord's really serious about this. And he gives us these things, not just for us to just to be trifled with, but to see them as precious gifts to the people of God to remind us and to help us and to nourish us and to unite us in the reality of who he is, who we are, and what it is that he's done for us in Christ. Let's pray. Lord, we we need a sense of this today. Forgive us for trifling and not taking you seriously. Thank you for... um, just the reality that you bear with a stubborn and cold people. Thank you that you invite us into fellowship with you and you've made that way through Jesus Christ. And Lord, help us to see and understand um, the, uh, uh, the only thing that is worth dividing over is you and the gospel. Help us to entrust ourselves to you and to that. Forgive us for thinking that other things separate us, that other things are the things that uh, divide us, and help us, uh, Lord, uh, uh, to repent and to entrust even our wrongheadedness about that into your hands. Lord, we thank you that we have the perfect Passover lamb in Jesus Christ who loves us, who has uh, suffered and bled and died and risen again uh, for us. Lord, help us to take joy in that and to see that as the central aspect of our identity. Lord, we ask this in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. As the guys come up to take up the offering, let me remind you to drop uh, your tear off in the plate. Please don't feel pressure to give. Only give today if it's a part of your worship in response to God's goodness and grace.
Na na 